Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at adces24.org. Hello, and welcome to AADE's podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm Kirsten Yale, Research and Proposal Manager at AADE, and today we've got a fascinating show for you. We're talking about pediatric diabetes care, and specifically today, we're focusing on peer support. AADE recently launched new practice guidance and resources around the subject at diabeteseducator.org forward slash pediatrics. On today's show, I had the pleasure of talking to someone whose story is almost out of a made-for-TV movie. I'm delighted to talk today with founder and CEO of Children with Diabetes, Jeff Hitchcock. So Jeff, hello. Good morning. So great to have you. Oh, happy to be here. You know, I am lucky to know a little bit about your background. I've been lucky to have some great conversations with you in the past. And I thought maybe one of the best ways to kick this off would be to talk about your background and tell us all about the whole thing. Well, I'll tell you what I can. (laughs) So yes, um, I have a a rather unusual background uh, in that I worked in the U.S. intelligence community for a number of years when I was young. My wife worked for another part of the U.S. intelligence community, and we met in uh, Kinshasa, Zaire in 1983. And in 1984, we were married. And then in 1987, our first child was born, Marissa. And that was sort of the beginning of how we got into uh, doing diabetes. Uh, She was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes just after her second birthday in September of 1989. We were living in Washington, D.C., and that summer was brutally hot. So when she began asking for a lot of water, we thought it was just the heat, but it wasn't. And the last week she'd been soaking multiple diapers a night, we took her into the pediatrician and unfortunately, the pediatrician did not diagnose her with diabetes immediately. He came home with a sort of something to put on her underneath her diaper to collect urine to do a urine test. And anyone who's had little children know they do not urinate on command. So we came home and were able to connect enough, collect enough urine. But when we went back, the office had closed. So we actually didn't get a diagnosis until uh, the weekend. So a full week then? Oh, yeah. Well, she'd been sick for days. We'd actually brought her in a couple weeks earlier. She had oral thrush, which is a yeast infection of the mouth, and a a traditional sort of girl yeast infection, none of which are common in young children unless they have undiagnosed type 1 diabetes, we came to learn. So she was sick for a couple of weeks and thankfully was not in DKA when we finally got her to Children's Hospital uh, in Washington, D.C. We actually had a a great diagnosis experience, if you can run those words together. 
the pediatric endocrinologist who took care of us, a man named Alan Glasgow, told us very reassuringly, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. And while that proved, has proven to be true, it was still a bit of a bet in 1989 because the DCCT had not yet published its results. But he was familiar enough with the work that was underway and and guided us to care for her. And we left with the, I guess, the realization that we would make sure that Marissa's life would be whatever it was going to be without diabetes now that she had it. And that was our commitment to her and to us as a family, that we wouldn't let diabetes get in the way of her living otherwise. It's interesting to hear because you were probably in a position to share an experience with others who didn't have such a positive experience. Indeed. And that, in fact, happened. So I mentioned that I had been in the intelligence community. I, I left that and began to work in defense contracting related industries. And that actually took us to the Cincinnati area. I was recruited by a company to uh, come out here and work on a very interesting project. We moved here in 1994, and in 1995, I was laid off as the company did not secure the contracts that they were looking to get. So in June of 95, I find myself coming home around noon and called up our internet provider and said, I need a full-time 28.8 modem connection. I want to launch a website about caring for children with diabetes, thinking the internet, it's going to be big. Now, that was a little early in 1995, but I'd, I'd been sort of thinking about this for some time. There were diabetes-related message boards on platforms like CompuServe, which was a dial-up forum, for lack of a better description, that I had been using as part of my engineering work and found people talking about their life with diabetes. And there were a lot of people doing that, not a lot of parents of kids, though. So as, as the World Wide Web came into being, it, it was clear to me that this, this medium was perfect for a 24 by 7, always there place for families to get together and share experiences. So I, I launched Children with Diabetes in the summer of 95, thinking I would build this out. Um, and and that's, that's how that began. And I do remember in the summer of 1995, Yahoo, which was a new search engine directory kind of company then, would feature a small number of websites each week, and they featured children with diabetes. And our traffic exploded after that. And I think families living with type 1, like ours, were searching this fledgling thing called the internet for others like themselves, and they found us, and they found others like them. And that was aligned with, you know, the growth of children with diabetes was aligned with the Friends for Life conference in Orlando in 2009, right? And that kind of kicked it off? Sure. So one of the things we had at the very beginning was an email support list for parents, and it was just called parents at childrenwithdiabetes.com. And there were hundreds and hundreds of families on that. It was a way to share experiences and messages back in the day when most people had dial-up connections. So email was fast and web pages weren't necessarily fast. 
We also had chat rooms, which were busy all the time. But the parents list was the genesis of the conferences. And it was the idea of Laura Bilodeau, whose son Sam had been diagnosed, I think, in 1998. And in 1999, she sent a message to our parents list asking if any other families wanted to join her for a vacation in Orlando in June of 2000. And by the time that that month came, 550 of us went down to Orlando and had a wonderful two-day weekend with other families like ours. And it proved that meeting face-to-face was incredibly important. After that, Laura reached out to all the people who came and asked, what should we do next? What do you want next year's event to be? And the feedback was, we want more companies. We want an exhibition hall. We want real scientific sessions and and that. And that became the model for Friends for Life Orlando, which in a couple of months is going to celebrate its 20th event. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Well, you Thank know, you. quick question here and from you have everybody getting together in Orlando and then all of a sudden this tipping point where the diabetes online communities evolved and mushroomed, right? So how do you oh, think did, yes. that happened? I mean, you've talked a little bit about the drivers. What do you think continued that evolution? Well, as I mentioned in the beginning, you had to be very technical to do anything like what I did. And it was just luck that I knew how to do it and I had a need. That is, I had a child with type 1. And then new tools began to be developed to make it easier to go online and and publish. A blogger came out so that people could write about their experiences. And there was an explosion of people writing blogs related to diabetes. One of the most well-known was Six Until Me, written by Carrie Sparling, a, a young woman with type 1, talking about her experiences growing up with type 1, being a young adult with type 1, and having a family. And then we had new social media evolve. Facebook, I think, was transformative in the peer support community space. It allowed people to create groups around very specific interests. So you could have a, and and there is, there's a group, dads of kids with diabetes, moms of kids with diabetes, people who like winter sports and all that stuff. And the reason these things are so important is that when you are living with a chronic health condition, whether yourself or caring for someone, you can feel very isolated. And that that isolation, it's not healthy and it's not helpful because it can lead to depression and, and poor outcomes. So finding others like yourselves and being able to share experiences and learn results in better health outcomes for both the people with the condition and the care providers. And there's some been some really good studies published in, in the last couple of years, specifically the social media and the, the diabetes online community and its positive impact on We've health. We've talked about the psychosocial impact of these diabetes online communities and how important that is. I think that's what you're hitting on here. Just one kind of side note that I think maybe a lot of parents would think about is, I mean, is there any danger with kids 
you know, parents go on these sites, but we hear all the time about online communities and keeping our kids off. Do you see any danger in other sites that are out there? Well, well, over the years, we had small numbers of young people, mostly teens, interacting with the Children with Diabetes website in one way or another. It's not something that teens really go do, and, and younger kids really have interests that are unrelated to this. You know, teens use the internet and social media to share their teen experiences with their peers. They may go online and search for diabetes-related symptoms or, or care strategies. And actually, very early on, we received questions to our online diabetes team from teens about drinking. And the, the questions were really along this line of, my friends are going out drinking. I don't want to look like an idiot, but I don't want to die. Tell me what to do. So we were able to provide sound medical guidance on what alcohol does in the body and without moralizing. So it was, it was good to be able to provide that kind of good medical feedback. But in general, it's not the kids online. It's the parents and the adults. That's a really cool story because peers listen to peers. And if they have a safe place to go find that information, it flips that, you know, that it is a safe place. If I can take this beyond the psychosocial, I wonder about this explosion of technology in diabetes care. How has the diabetes online community supported that? Great question. There are, in Facebook, numerous groups specifically set up for things like Dexcom users or users of the homemade artificial pancreas systems like Loop and OpenAPS. And families go there and find technical support, guidance, help on how do I keep this thing stuck to my body while I go surfing, you know, those types of things, the kind of real life experience and advice that you can only get from people who've done it. We look to our diabetes care teams for a lot of things, and they certainly know a lot of things, but there's so much real life happening that you can really only learn it from people who've been there. Well, you know, and I think a lot about the do-it-yourself DIY technology. It's kind of hard to do it yourself. You need a community around you that you can ask questions, and it, it isn't always your endocrinologist or your diabetes educator. You can't always get a hold of them, right? Correct. And the loop diabetes Facebook groups in particular are phenomenal because you have people willing to provide really significant technical support all hours of the day because this, this community spans the globe. It, it is inevitable that when something fails, it fails at the worst possible time. You know, this is sort of the Murphy's Law of medical devices. Nothing fails at 9 a.m. on a Monday morning. It's always 9 p.m. on a Sunday or a holiday or something. So when, when people have problems here, there are other people around the world who can help them at any time. And it, it's really an amazing thing to watch. We saw similar things like that in our chat rooms years ago when parents would get up and check their children, find low blood sugars and not go to sleep because they were going to check again in 30 minutes, they would pop onto the chat rooms and you would see the people who were awake in Australia and Japan chatting with the parents in the US at night. It's really interesting. Our globe is getting smaller, right? It is. And the connectivity through social media and online support really 
gives everyone on the planet who's online a chance to learn from the, the people living with the same thing they are. Yeah, I think it's really cool just to see how people naturally begin to use tools to support their, their daily living. We think a lot here at the association about where diabetes educators fit into the care model. And really, we think that the diabetes educator is with the person with diabetes in the center of the care model, supporting them as a partner, right? Supporting the person with diabetes and supporting the family members and caregivers around them. I'm curious, how do you see these diabetes online communities partnering or being a part of that care model? Well, from the perspective of advice I would give to diabetes educators, the families you serve are going to go online. They are going to find communities. They are going to ask for help from that community. So expect it. And the best thing an educator can do is, is learn about the communities that are relevant to those families. So as an example, if they are CGM users, find the communities that support CGM, join them, get to know how they work and guide those families to the ones that the educators feel are offering the best science-based support and the like. And I think there's also an opportunity for educators to participate as the voice of authority in various communities, such as Loop and CGM users and the like. The educators know the material better than anyone, and having their their voice of wisdom, I think, would be very helpful. Not a lot do participate, though. So not a lot do participate. And why do you think that is? Well, in the discussions I've had, there's a couple of reasons that many people have shared. One is they try to keep a clear separation between their professional online presence and their personal online presence. And that makes perfect sense. So a lot of educators go online, they share family photos and like, but they don't do anything professionally. And some of that I think is anxiety about practicing medicine outside their licensure. So if I live in a state, I can certainly talk about people you know, in my state who I see, but online, we don't know where those people are. And then secondarily, some of the online community still functions a little bit like the Wild West, in which people's behavior online doesn't always correlate with their behavior in real life. That is, they become more aggressive and behave in ways that are not very grown up online. And this is a well-documented phenomenon. So if, if, an, if someone goes online and gives a good science-based explanation for something and gets attacked by the people who live in the Wild West of this, they may pull back and say, well, you know, that, that was nice. I'm not going to go do that again. And if you're a, a person with diabetes or a parent, you have to be prepared for that. You do. And you have to realize that it's not personal. You know, so you have to take on a bit of a thick skin, which having been online for, gosh, 24 years now, I, I certainly have adopted myself. But someone new to it may, may recoil and say, look, I, I'm done with that. Uh, there, there's a very well-known diabetes pediatric endocrinologist who's been online. He's, he's online a lot and recently was attacked in one of, the, one of these forums. And I had a very long conversation with him and, and just reminded him that, you know, you're helping a lot of people. What you're doing is making a difference and you're 
guiding people correctly, don't let the few dissuade you from continuing that very good thing you're doing. And you can also remember that online, you're going to be able to reach more people in a day than you will reach in person in a year. It's just the nature of the, the platform. Right. Any great stories you could share? Any real life stories that you've experienced? Sure. Well, a lot. There, there are a couple that stand out and illustrate the importance of peer support in the lives of families. Years ago, my daughter had made a very good friend of a young man at, at our conferences. They both live with type 1 diabetes. And I remember we were at an event that we were holding. That young man wasn't there and he was having a problem. And he called my daughter. They were both young adults or older teens at the time. And it, it really illustrated to me that when you build friendships, either online or in real life with people living the same life you are, you begin to rely on them and trust their guidance in a way that you don't necessarily trust your healthcare professionals. So the challenge this young man was having wasn't something that he needed immediate medical care on, but he needed help. So he reached out to the community of the people that he'd gotten to know. And that has happened more times than I can count. The other thing we've, we found that's really interesting, the families who get to know each other at our conferences bond in ways that are so deep. They begin to fly their kids across the country to go spend weeks in sleepovers with these families that they met for the first time in Orlando. And it again illustrates the depth of friendships that come from people who are sharing something different, a life with type 1 diabetes. And those friendships are deeper than they will often have with the best friends they have at home who don't share that life. Because they don't, they don't get it, right? Correct. So you're, okay, so interesting. So your daughter, she's 30 now, right? I think. She'll be 32. Her diabetes will be 30. <laughs> so um, is she still friends with the gentleman that reached out to her that many years ago? Yeah. That is oh, yeah, yeah. Cool. And uh, what's interesting is, um, so my daughter went on to become a, a nurse and earned her CDE and is now a researcher at Stanford University working in their artificial pancreas. You're kidding. Yeah, a dream job. Um, the only downside is I live in Cincinnati and she and my grandchildren live in California. Um, but back to your question. Yes, so that young man also grew up to become a nurse, a diabetes educator, and uh, works at CHOP in Philadelphia. And they see each other all the time. They're friends online. They travel and visit with each other. And they are not unique in those types of friendships. We actually had a, a young couple meet at our conferences and get married, and that won't be the last. I'm starting to think about how diabetes educators can support these online communities and support people using these online communities. I, again, I go back to that care model, the integration into the care model um, and making it a part of it, I think would be very valuable to the community. So looking into the, look into the future, what... What do you see coming or where do you see us going with these online communities? Well, I think that families will always seek the support of others and children with diabetes and these other communities and Facebook and the like have proven that connecting with others, learning, sharing your stories, even just realizing that you're not alone 
is profoundly positive. So as long as there is this need, families will continue to use it. Children with diabetes is, is not going away. The communities like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter are not going away. And each of these platforms brings unique capabilities and families will go and exploit those unique capabilities to make a difference in their lives and the lives of families like them. I don't see an end to it. And I think that the medical community embracing that will continue to make a difference positively for their patients. And if I can ask now, we already know that children with diabetes is an incredible resource to um, to people with diabetes and their caregivers. Any other great resources you could share? Oh my God, there are a lot. So kind of thinking about um, the, sort of the general theme of supporting families who have kids with diabetes, as opposed to sort of the broader community. There's a great organization that will help college kids called the College Diabetes Network. And that was started by a young woman named Christina Roth, who lives with type one and wanted help in college. That age group, that, that young adult, say 18 to 25, is often lost to care as they leave home, go to a new city, don't have the support structures. So groups like CDN can make a profound difference in making sure that these young people are in a peer group who understands what they're going through and have resources supported by diabetes educators in those communities. So one of the great things that diabetes educators can do is to get to know the CDN chapters where they live and be a resource for those families and for those young adults. From an advocacy perspective, the ADA and the JDRF are well-known in what they do, but there's also DPAC. They are an advocate for families living with diabetes in the policy area. So how do we make sure that people have access and uh, to affordable medicines? Uh, how do we make sure that laws in states are supportive of people living with diabetes of all ages? So those are those are several organizations that really make a difference. Well, when you talked about people of all ages, we didn't really touch on the different age groups and how do the different age groups use the online communities differently? Well, I, I know that from the perspective of parents, we seek out people in our same age group. So parents and adults with type one similarly try to find people like them. There's a, a great organization that supports women with diabetes, diabetes sisters, and that's the women with both type one and type two and gestational diabetes. So that's a, a bit of a, a unique community, but really makes a difference in the lives of adult women living with diabetes. Well, you know what, Jeff, this has been absolutely fantastic. I wanted to save a couple minutes to make sure I shared some time because I got to ask all the questions but you're the expert in this space. Did we miss anything? Is there something learning that, that you want to share with educators? We would love to hear your voice. Well, I, I think educators are and always will remain a critical resource for families, whether the family has a child with type 1 or an adult with type 1. We look to the physicians and the educators to teach us how to live well with diabetes. They are the coaches of the team, to use that analogy. And they will always be there to help us learn about the latest tools and the science behind the things we, we live with every day. But the, the fact is that we 
are on around 99.97% of the time. If you think about the four clinic visits a year that most families get to and add up those hours and divide it into the hours in a year, you realize that people with diabetes are basically on their own. So having educators help us find the right places or be there in these places will really make a difference for families. Yeah. In many ways, it feels like it's a place they can call home. Um, yeah. It is. Hey, before we leave, I wanted to leave you guys with, with a couple of resources. And one of those was diabeteseducator.org forward slash pediatrics. That's the AADE page where you can find our newly released pediatrics paper and many, many more resources for educators working with children with diabetes. And then Jeff, can you share your URL, social media, all that fun stuff? We want to make sure we get the word out for you. Sure. So it's just childrenwithdiabetes.com. You'll, you'll get to us and uh, you can find more information about it on the, on the homepage. All right, Jeff, it was lovely to have you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. There's really a deep level of support that peer communities like children with diabetes have to offer, not just people with diabetes, but the diabetes care team as well. We learned there's nothing like the connection and support from a shared experience. Peer support groups are true communities that span the globe. We learned that diabetes educators can play a role in helping their clients connect with others online and in person. Children with Diabetes is a fabulous resource for families, in addition to sites like College Diabetes Network, Diabetes Sisters, and so many more. To access resources and notes from today's discussion, please visit diabeteseducator.org forward slash podcast. And I encourage you to learn more about pediatric diabetes care at diabeteseducator.org forward slash pediatrics. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.